Chapter 31. Connor's dinner that night was served in the great hall, not the dining room where we'd eaten all week. Several guests were already there, but the princess and her parents, who apparently had accompanied her to Farthenwood, had not yet ent entered. I was assigned as a door servant, with no apparent function other than to stand beside the doors of the great hall and observe as other students came and went. Tobias's and Rodin's assignments were no better. They stood at the far end of the room, tasked with the job of closing the curtains if the setting sun got in anyone's eyes. Maud announced Princess Amarinda's arrival, along with the entrance of her parents and some of their courtiers. Amarinda was, a be er, was as beautiful as Connor had described her, with chestnut brown hair swept away from her face and falling in thick curls down her back, and piercing brown eyes that absorbed her surroundings. As she recognized Connor, her face lit up with a smile that was warm and inviting. Here in Connor's home, the guests had made the owner feel welcomed. Connor stood along with the others at his table and bowed to Princess Amarinda and to her parents. Master Graves had told us about them and how Amarinda became the betrothed princess. The alliance between Amarinda and the house of King Egbert was made at her birth. She was three years younger than Darius and the product of a lengthy search by Egbert. He wanted a foreign girl whose connections were powerful enough to forge a marriage that would create a bond between her country and Carthia, but not a direct heir to the throne who would have political ambitions of her own. Amarinda was, was the niece of King Bymar. Before she was even old enough to ca crawl as an infant, her parents had promised her to whoever inherited Eckbert's throne, most likely Darius. And although she'd never been chosen or given a choice in marriage, the older Amarinda became, the more her adm admiration for Darius grew. Both were said to be eager for the time when she would be of age and they could marry. Amarinda stopped when she passed by me at the door. What are you staring at? Whatever rules Mott had given us blurred in my head, I could speak to her as if, or I could speak to her if she was addressing me, but she was only addressing me because I looked right at her, which was not allowed. Forgive him, Highness, Mott said, stepping forward. No forgiveness is requested. I merely wondered what the servant was so or found so interesting. I looked at Mott to see if I should answer. With a stern warning in his eyes, he nodded permission at me and said, You've got dirt on your face. She arched her eyebrows. Is that a joke? No, Your Highness, on your cheek. Amarinda turned to her attendant, who flushed and wiped the dirt off. Why didn't you tell me that before I walked in here? Amarinda asked her. You led the way, Highness. I didn't see it. But he did, and he's only a servant. She turned back to me apologetically. Before leaving my room, I had the window open and paused to look out. I must have gotten some dirt on my face then. I never said the dirt detracted from your beauty, Highness. I told her, only that it was there. With a somewhat embarrassed smile, she nodded at me in return, and then continued on, taking her seat. Out of the corner of my eye, I caught Connor looking at me. Though his expression was con so controlled, I couldn't tell whether he was amused, relieved, or furious. Dinner smelled so good as it was served that, er, as it was served that it took considerable willpower not to reveal that I was in disguise. At that moment, and had to sit down to eat with the others. A large roast had been prepared with boiled carrots and potatoes, hot bread, and some sort of imported cheese in the name, or the name of which I did not recognize when Connor offered it to Amarinda. Imogen was one of the servants of the meal. I noticed a cut on her forehead and wondered if Connor dismissed that as yet another clumsy moment. No matter how long I stared at her as she served, she avoided my eyes each time she entered or exited the room. Had I offended her somehow, or was she keeping herself away from the increasing danger that surrounded Connor's plans? Across the room, Tobias was disinterested and lackluster. He stared at the floor and soon faded into the background. Rodan looked hungry. And I caught him staring at the princess with a powerful expression of admiration. The conversation of the t at the table began with a shallow ple pleasantries. 
Connor described his life in the country away from the politics of Drilliad, and Marina discussed her travels to, as she toured Carthia in the recent weeks. Her parents understood that, she was, or that as heir to the throne, she was far more important than they were, and deferred to her in leading the conversation. After the main course was served, Connor steered the conversation directly to the topic I was sure he had intended for us to hear the plans for her eventual wedding and ascension to the throne. And Miranda pressed her lips together, then said, Perhaps there will never be a wedding, she glanced over at Connor, who feigned appropriate concern. After a moment, she added, There's a rumor that came to me only a few days ago regarding the king and queen and their son. Oh? Connor's eyes, w- eyes wide actually looked curious. He knew exactly what that rumor was, and I couldn't help but respect his acting skills. You haven't heard it? I was told the king and queen and their son are touring the northern country, which they often do this time of year. And may I ask when you last saw them? It's been a few weeks, Connor said, before their trip to Jelen. And were they well? Certainly. And Marina's father spoke up. Then the rumor cannot be true. He heaved a sigh of relief and took his wife's hands. She also looked relieved. Rumors have always surrounded the royal family, Connor said, as if the matter were settled. It's the cheapest entertainment for everyday folk. There was laughter at the table, except for Amarinda, whose solemn voice took control of the room. I heard they're dead. Murdered. The laughter fell silent, and she continued. All three of them poisoned during supper and dead by morning. Ma glanced er, glanced at me from his position and shook his head, warning me not to react. I forced a disinterested, blank expression onto my face, despite the churning in my stomach. If I reacted, Connor would change the subject, but I needed them to continue talking about it, because no matter how easily he could avoid giving us more details, he'd have a harder time dodging the princess. However, the one question at the top of my mind was one I knew she'd never ask. Would the person who steps in as the prince become the next victim? Connor leaned forward and clasped his hands together. Highness, you are scheduled to be at the castle in Drilliad tomorrow, correct? When she nodded, he said, let the rumor lie until then. Whether it's true or false, it will be verified once you're there. Waiting is more easily said than done, and Marina's voice was, as, was heavy with sadness. If there's no heir, there's no betrothed princess. I'll be a widow without having married. Even if the rumor is true, there may be another way, Connor said. Perhaps all is not lost for you, or for Carthia. And Marina arched an eyebrow, curious. Connor waited several seconds to continue, which I knew was to increase her anticipation. It was heartless, even cruel. Finally, he said... What if Prince Jaren was alive? And Marina froze. Everyone at the table did, except Connor. He was enjoying the moment far too well. He manipulated those around him as though he were all, they, or we were all pawns in his twisted game. I hated that my life had become entwined with his. Finally, finally Anne Marina's mother said, Everyone knows Prince Jaren was killed by pirates four years ago. Are you telling us this is not so? I'm only saying that there is always hope, Connor then addressed himself to Marina. Highness, perhaps you may soon claim the throne after all. Am I that shallow? Amarinda stood angry. Do you think I cared about the throne and not the prince? You talk about Jaren's return as if it would solve all of our problems, but it's Darius who concerns me. I need to know if he is alive. She closed her eyes for a moment, remaining calm, then said more softly, You must forgive me, but I'd like to return to my room. I have a headache. Her father rose to escort her out, but she raised a hand to him. No, father, you should stay and continue the evening. My ladies will accompany me. My man will see you to your room, Connor said, gesturing to Mont. Amarinda eyed me, and I lowered my head, willing her to look anywhere else. That boy can see me there. Connor hesitated, then smiled and nodded his permission at her. I wondered if perhaps he wasn't allowed to refuse her, or maybe he liked her suggestion. I didn't. 
I don't know the way, Highness, I said. It was a stupid lie and poorly told. Hers was the room where I had bathed on my first day of Barthenwood. I do. All I ask is for an escort. Connor waved me away, so I bowed to her and we walked out into Connor's great hallway. I led the way up the master staircase, which seemed endless on this trip. All I wanted was to take her from or take her to her room, then get away. Behind me, Amarinda said, "You're obviously never escorted royalty before. Do you expect me to keep up with you at this speed?" I said, "The pace boy." I stopped, but did not turn around. My apologies, I mumbled. You do not have my forgiveness yet. Let's see how you do from here. When she was close behind me, I continued walking, slower this time. What is your name? she asked. Sage. That's it. I'm a servant, Highness. Do I require more of a name? I'm known to mostly as Amarinda. Am I a servant as well? She supplied her own answer. Of course I am. I exist only to ensure the reputable queen for Carthia when the time comes. Have you heard of Prince Darius? Of course. Have you heard the rumors of his death? I've heard them, and they weren't rumors. She touched my arm to get my attention. I stopped, but kept my gaze low. Is he really dead, Sage? If you know, you must tell me. Perhaps you know someone who works in the castle at Driliad. Surely you servants talk with one another. For the first time, I turned to face her, though I didn't dare look her in the eyes. The servants wonder, uh, the servants wonder what Amaranda will do if she marries or if she has to marry Prince Jaren to gain the throne. If he is alive, of course. Amaranda didn't answer for a very long time. Finally, she said, You speak too boldly for a servant. I continued walking again. Amarina caught up to me and said, Is Jaren really alive? Whether the king's family is living or dead, if Jaren is alive, he must be presented at court. I stopped in front of Amarina's door, still keeping my eyes on the floor. Here's your room, my lady. You told me you didn't know where it was. And quickly I realized that was a, er, what a stupid lie that had been. Rather than respond to her, I asked, Is there anything else you need? Do you wonder why I ask you to escort me, Sage? I shook my head and might have sighed a little too loudly. My back did hurt from so much standing. I hadn't eaten yet, and I was tired of pretending. Beyond that, I didn't want to hear that a girl who'd have to marry me one day, if I was declared Prince Jern, really loved the prince's older brother. I ask you here because you spoke honestly to me before. If I had entered the room with a face smeared in mud and asked another servant how I looked, he would have bowed and told me I was as beautiful as ever. When you're in my position, Sage, you come to realize how few people you can trust. She waited, expecting me to respond. When met with silence, she went on. So I trust your opinion on my dilemma. Should I continue on to Driliad, hoping Prince Darius will greet me there, but knowing in my heart that something is wrong? Or shall I stay away, knowing that if there is no Darius, I'm no longer a betrothed princess and have no place in Driliad? This time I looked directly at her, although her eyes were so perceptive. I immediately looked away. You should go to the castle, Highness. You should always choose on the side of hope. That's good advice. I have less of a headache now than before, Sage. Thank you for that. She smiled sadly. Do you envy me as a royal? I shook my head. The closer I got to the castle in Driliad myself, the more I dreaded it. Many do. I'm glad you can appreciate your station in life as a servant. I'm a servant too, you know. Perhaps with finer clothes and servants of my own, but few er, few choices about my life belong to me. We're not so different, you and I. She was closer to the truth than she realized, but I held my tongue and stared at the ground. Will you not look at me? No, my lady. If I cannot look at you as an equal, I will not look at all. She placed a hand on my cheek and softly kissed the other one, then whispered, Remember this moment, then, Sage, when someone of my status offered a kindness to someone of yours, because next time we meet, if Darius is dead, I will no longer be anyone of importance. 
She entered the room with her ladies in tow. Only after her door was shut did I look up again. Darius was dead, and very soon she and I would meet as equals. But I had the feeling it wouldn't be a day she ended up celebrating.'